Welcome. I'm Paul Bishop, your host for this installment of Six-Gun Justice Conversations. These are bonus downloads where my co-host Richard Prosh or I get to hang around the virtual Six-Gun Justice podcast corral, talking with friends and fellow writers who are also fans of the Western genre. Joining me today from Canada is Reg Quist, currently one of the most popular writers of Christian Westerns. His strong pioneer heritage led Reg to revere and absorb their hallmarks of hard work and self-reliance. Only in early retirement from the construction industry was there time for Reg to get serious about writing. Northward to Home, a historical Christian Western, which is the second novel in his best-selling Just John series, is due to be released by Wolfpack Publishing's Christian imprint, CKN, and is already burning up the charts on pre-orders alone. Hello, friend. How are you? Morning, Paul. Good to hear from you. You're living out there in Vancouver Island, which I guess qualifies the Siskin Justice podcast for now going international. <laughs> I guess it does. <laughs> Slightly. We're out here in the Pacific Ocean, yeah. How long have you been out on Vancouver Island? That's rather isolated in some ways. It's isolated by a ferry service. We have airlines, sure. of course, but we've been here since 1970, so that's 50 years now. That's a long time. How did you get out there to begin with? Well, I came out for work, of course. So many people travel around looking for work. We lived in Alberta for over 30 years, and that's really still our heritage. But job opportunity came up away from the winds and the storms of January, and we took it. And we've been here ever since. That's fantastic. It's a beautiful island. Mm -hmm, for sure. Recognizing it as playing a distinct role in your life, please share with us a little about your ancestry and how important it is in your life and how it formed the person you are today. Well, I'm no longer young, as you can see in my photographs and so forth. I was born in the 30s. I was privileged to know all four of my grandparents. I knew them as pioneers, as builders, and as cattlemen and farmers, great neighbors, and all men and women who loved the Lord. I knew them well and loved them very much. Unfortunately, they died in my teen years, but I still knew them well as a child. I uh, rode on their farms and the ranches of the family. So I learned their self-reliance. I learned about standing on their own two feet, and that's my background and my heritage. It means a lot to me, and it shows up, I think, in my stories. You're talking about they love the Lord. Clearly, that's played a large part in your life as well. Did that start back there when you were growing up? Was there influence in your religious life as strong as it was in your secular life? The answer to that, as a child, of course, I was very conscious of God in my life. But then we grew into teen years, and we get into some rough times sometimes. And I didn't really come back to the Lord until I was in my 20s, and Molly and I were married. It's been a growing time since then, and a long walk through life, learning how to live and learning how to do things correctly and so forth. And yes, the Lord has been a very big part of our lives and continues at this late stage. I think that's the way it is for a lot of us who step away for a period of time, and then you find that lack in your life that needs filling. And once you recommit, you come back even stronger. I would agree. The teen years are struggle years, and the young guys have got to try their wings a little bit, but it's good to come back and put that behind us. Your career was in construction. How did that get into your mainstream? I'm a journeyman electrician in the building contracting business. Where I was raised in Alberta's oil country as well as cattle and farm country, I was drawn to the oil fields. The sort of the romance of the oil field plus the good pay drew me away from the city. And I spent time in construction camps up north. I've worked up in the Yukon, Northwest Territories. That's all a part of our lives. And the experiences of meeting hundreds and hundreds of men, some of them pretty rough in the camps, 
And I've often thought it's maybe not too far from the pioneer towns with the saloons and the meeting houses and so forth, because I met men of all sorts. And of course, there wasn't many women in the camps. That was very much, again, like the pioneer era when the men came out first and the women came later. So that probably influenced me along the way in my writing. Were you a reader during that time period? I was a reader as a child. I got away from it again in my teen years. In my 20s, I came back, discovered the local library, and bought some books myself. And really wasn't a Western fan much growing up, but I got into the Moors and the Elmer Keltons and so forth back in the early 60s. You're in this construction field that's quite a ways away from being a writer. What was the spark that made you decide that when I'm done building my last building or doing my last construction, I want to start writing? I don't know if it was that clear cut with me, Paul. I remember reading stories in the 60s and thinking I could write that. And I even started a couple of times, but of course, it was pretty amateurish and nobody would want to read it. So just over the years, I started experimenting with simple kinds of writing. When my grandkids came along, I sort of diarized their lives, and I did it as little mini short stories. I started writing some things that I thought might be interesting to read, and so it grew on from there. Your first novel, The Church at Third and Main, which was published in 2017 and was a 2018 Word Guild Award winner for Best mm-hmm. Christian Contemporary Novel, what was the inspiration that made you sit down and start a novel-length work? And what was the experience of writing it and getting it published like? First, a little correction. Max Way was actually my first published book, but The Church of Third Main followed quite shortly after. The condition in the current contemporary churches in Paul troubles me a little bit. I think we've lost sight of some things. And of course, the gorgeous old churches that used to grace the downtown areas of cities when I was a child, most of them are gone. They've become libraries or meeting houses. And that troubled me too. So I put the whole thing together. The book is really about trying to bring an almost dead church back to life. So that comes out of the, sort of out of my heart, I guess you might say, and wishing that I could see that happening in some of the older churches, the churches that are found so difficult to hang on downtown when everybody's moving to the suburbs. Of course, now they're moving back downtown with the high rises, so that becomes part of that story too. In terms of publishing, I was very fortunate. First, I was introduced to Wolfpack and Mike and Rachel and the people. At the time, they were talking to me about Max Way and a couple of others. They started the Christian imprint. So the Church of Third and Main fit right into that. They took it and did a wonderful job of putting it together for me. And it's still available. And people pick it up every month. And so I'm pleased with that. Did you feel at all pushed to write this novel? And I'm talking about a spiritual push to write the things that you did in this novel? I did very much. Yeah, very much. That's hard to explain because it's so much an internal thing. But yes, I felt very much uh, a leading of the Lord in putting that together. I felt God wanted me to write that story. One of the encouraging things, Paul, with that particular book, well, with all my books, really, we've got some great reviews. And people tell me the book has opened their eyes or they wish their church could learn these things. And I'm happy with that. The reviews are a very welcome part of any writer, of course. In your reviews, your stories have been described as full of hope for the hurting. Does that make you feel good? It does. I don't know if that was my original goal, but it's certainly a good sub-goal. I think that came about really starkly in the Reluctant Redemption series, where I deal with PTSD after the U.S. Civil War. So yeah, I think there's hope in the way the Lord treats people, and even sometimes we don't recognize it for coming from the Lord, but the help does come from Him, and so I'm glad when that can come out in one of my stories. As you said, Max Way was your first published novel, followed by The Church at Third and Main. You then followed up with two more Max Way stories. 
That's correct. Max okay. Land and Max Loa. Why did you stop a series and start another? Did the series, in your opinion, said all you wanted to say about that character? I was late coming to the series idea. I wrote several standalones, which had done reasonably well, too, at Wolfpack. But the idea of a series came late to my mind. I had let so much time go past in Mac's life. I've got him from a very young, unmarried man to where he's got teenage children. And it was hard to create a series without taking him into some other directions that maybe would lose the emphasis of the original Max Way. But he was a middle-aged man by the time I got back to him, and I just felt maybe I had pushed it as far as I could push it. I sympathize with that situation because when I started out as a writer, my characters changed so much from the beginning of the book to the end of the book that it was hard to come back with a sequel. It took me a long time as a writer to learn how to pace a character's internal life out through a series of books. So I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. With Reluctant Redemption, I kept those three stories tightly connected in the time frame. And I'm just working on another one now. The Danny stories, the truth of the matter is out now. And the second one just came to me last night for editing, actually. And I'm keeping those in tight time frame as well. So I think I can keep on going with those. Mind you, I have to say, I've read some lengthy series, and I sometimes think you get to much past four or five, six stories, it's maybe time to come up with a new tale. I'm being critical here, Paul, but sometimes I think people are starting to repeat themselves, or maybe they've gotten all they can get out of these characters and time to move on to something else. The cliche, been there, done that, does apply to a number of long-running series. It's hard to keep a series that are 10, 15 books long fresh because you're having to hit all of the expected notes your fans want to read. As a writer, you're sometimes caught between the commercial, this series is successful, and how do I grow as a writer? Yeah, I agree. And when I say I don't think I would do a long series, first, I'm 84 years old, so I don't know how much longer I've got. (laughs) But the, the second thing is my creativity might be a little lacking to do a long series. But on the other hand, there's so many new things coming into my mind that I hate to not work on them. So, Very understandable. Your books have been described as Christian Westerns. What does that mean to you, and how important is that distinction? The Christian Western, first, of course, I don't use any profanity, and I don't use any overt sex. I don't try to hide from sex, but I don't make it overt. And I don't push evangelical Christianity. Although I am an evangelical Christian myself, I just have the characters, they're going to church and they're meeting on Sundays and they're doing things like that. Maybe they're helping a neighbor. I do preach a little bit in the third book of the Reluctant Redemption series, but that's the purpose of those stories. Otherwise, I don't preach in my books. I keep it as a low profile through the entire story, the book that I'm trying to put together, because I want the fact God is actually real and that makes a difference to all things. I want that to be showing up in my books in perhaps a subtle way. Your books aren't message books. You don't hit people over the head with a two-by-four about God. It's just inherent in the fabric of the book. Anybody can read my book. And, of course, it's sold in large numbers. And you'll never see a review except one or two where people thought it was pushing a little bit. But those people might not recreate anything to do with God. So I don't worry about one or two reviews. When you're writing your novels, does a Christian morality come first, or does the plot of the book come first, and the Christian theme just flow out of whatever plot it is that you're working on? I think your last statement is pretty close to correct. First, I'm not a pre-writer. I don't make long notes and plan out my stories from beginning to end. My characters tend to lead the story. I try to have my lead characters as Christians, although subtly, because that's where my heart is. The book just flows from that. 
how did your connection to the Just John story come about? Because this is based on a true character. The Just John book, which is the first in the series, and now you have a second one about to come out that is based not just the same character, but other true parts of his life. Yes. John Ware was a very well-known and highly respected black man, the first black man in Southern Alberta ranching history. And he's a story worth telling. And so I tried to tell it. Two or three other writers have tried to tell it, but they fantasized it so badly that I felt he just became another character. Whereas he was really a very highly respected man. He lived a very respectful life. He was not particularly a strong Christian, but he certainly married a Christian lady. He left no history behind him. He was illiterate. He never learned to read or write. We know he came from South Carolina. And so in Just John, I made up a history for him. I didn't want him just landing in Alberta as a complete stranger. So I made a history up for him in Just John. But in the second story, which is coming out on October 13th, is very strongly based on real history. And again, John left no personal history that is personally written. But his history and the history of the ranching country he was involved in has been kept by one academic in particular, but other academics as well who've researched the history there. Fortunately, they did it long enough ago that they were able to talk to contemporaries of John's who were still alive. I think it was blown up a little bit in some places, but I left those parts out and just kept a part that was really believable and tried to follow the John story as closely as I could. So there are primary sources out there that you were able to refer to to get what facts there were. Yes, very much, yeah. One of the edicts in writing is you never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> yeah. when, when you're writing something like Just John, do you feel um, responsibility to stay as close to the truth as you can? I certainly did in Just John. Everything else I've written is pure fiction. But in Just John, I wanted the story told as accurately and as clearly and as fairly as I could. So I don't skirt around the racism. I don't skirt around the hardships or anything like that. They're all in the book. I don't dwell on, but they're all in the book. But I can't write another book about them because it's been dealt with. I can't take the way they've done with so many Western heroes, we'll call them, well-known Western people, which is Wyatt Earp or Billy the Kid or whoever, and fantasize them to the point where you don't even know who this person is anymore. Uh, Canton won't do that with John. He was a real man and a contemporary of real pioneer historical ranchers in Alberta. I feel his story has now been told as far as I want to tell it, and so I'll leave it there. You've written contemporary novels. You've written a contemporary Western romance, Terry of the Double Sea. You've written historical Westerns. You've written what are termed Christian Westerns. How do you feel writing in all of those different kind of subgenres? Is that intentional? Yes, I think so. Again, I don't plan my stories out from beginning to end. I just don't do that. I get an idea in my mind. If you look at Hamilton Robb, for example, I read a story about the children's lizard, and I thought, that's a real story. So I studied up on the children's blizzard. I don't really emphasize it overly much in the book, but I worked a fiction story around the people that ended up being influenced by the children's blizzard, and it became the novel Hamilton Robb. So I do things like that. You said you read Louis L'Amour and Elmer Kelton when you were younger. Do you read Western writers now? I still got all the Louis, and I still got all the Elmers, and I read them from time to time just as light reading. Louis is really light reading. I like Elmer as my favorite writer. He is pretty amazing. The Day the Cowboys Quit and The Time It Never Rained are two of my favorite Westerns, not because they're action Westerns, but because they're so true. Yes, exactly. I don't like the ending of The Time It Didn't Rain. I'd like to have changed the last chapter, but that's his choice. 
I say about my stories, Paul, I want somebody to close that story off at the end and say, that could have really happened. And Elmer wrote that way. I don't care for his later stories where he deals with the Texas Rangers. I think those stories, Badger Boy and that sort of thing, maybe even changed some. The other stories he written, you could really say that really could have happened. What's next if Just John is finished at book two? What's on your writing horizon? I did the sequel to the first Danny book, and Jennifer sent it back to me last night for editing, so I'll work on that the next couple of days. And then I'm working on book three of the Danny series and wondering what to do next after that. That's excellent, and I wish you the best of luck with the premiere of the second Just John book, Northward to Home, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I'm pleased to talk to you and get to know you a little bit better, and thank you for calling. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the Six Gun Justice website at sixgunjustice.com for information on prior Six Gun Justice conversations, Six Gun Justice speed listens, and full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, along with regularly updated book reviews, articles, and interviews covering all aspects of the Western genre. Until next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and keep your Bible in your saddlebags. Adios! We're out of here. Let's ride.